1994, flew out to Oregon to uh, speak, preach at this little camp. It was called Eagle Fern. Cheryl was uh, pregnant with her third. We had two under three, if I remember right. And they put us in this little trailer, like back at the back of the camp. And uh, I went on to preach in the morning, preach at night. I'd been there the year before, and so it was kind of fun to be back at this place. They were all, it's, it's great going to Oregon with this accent because they listen the whole time, trying to figure out what you're saying. Uh, the first time I showed up, they were really surprised that I was white and that I, had, uh, that I was this small because we'd only talked on the phone. So we got, there was fun. I was having a great time, and this, this high school girl, um, one of the nights, catches me right outside the chapel on my way back to my trailer and uh, began to tell me your story. You ever been in that spot where you just kind of trapped and got nowhere to go, and she's telling me her story? And I start to glaze over. I know none of y'all are rude like this, but I started to glaze over while we're having this conversation because you ever had those deja vu moments where you're trying to figure out, did this actually happen before? And I'm listening to her, and 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 I'm looking at her. I'm like, I really feel like I've had this conversation with this girl before. And sure enough, I had she had said the exact same words the year before. Came to camp, heard about Jesus, three weeks of excitement at home, and then a gradual decline since then until she got back to camp that summer. I, uh, I walked back to my little trailer to see Cheryl. You can imagine how good a spirit she was in. Ladies in the room with three children under five. I had two and one on the way, so Cheryl's been, been trying to get it done back there in the trailer and, and I walk in the door, and I go, we got to go plant a church. And she's like, well, <laughs> Isaiah's been crying for three hours, right? <laughs> like, like, life's still real. I'm, I'm, uh, I go, I, I just talked to this girl. She said the exact same thing that she said the last year I preached at this camp. This ain't working. We got to find a way to make disciples. In my head... Uh, I didn't fully understand what a disciple was. I've been playing around with it, and you might not understand it either today. But I knew that I needed to walk with somebody. I couldn't just inspire them and preach from the front and then walk out the door. I needed to walk with them to move them over the course of time. And the only way I knew to do it was through the church. I've taken this class called Ecclesiology, if you want to sound smart. Tomorrow at work, you just throw it out there anytime you want. Nobody knows what it means. It's basically theology about the church. I took a class about this book in the Bible called Corinthians, which is one of the first very jacked up churches, right? Like it's got some beauty to it and power, and yet they got all these issues. And I thought, man, if I'm going to make a difference as opposed to getting this young girl inspired and go home and crash, I've got to find a way to start something where you could walk with people. So Cheryl and I went back to the little town we lived in, had, had a decent job that she liked, and we, uh, we decided we we're going to move and plant a church. So we moved to Clemson, South Carolina. I know some of y'all think we moved straight to hell, but no, it's actually, it's actually all right. We moved uh, into a little house there. I bought myself a red Ford Ranger for a thousand bucks, right? Like, so it was a quality vehicle. Uh, and I started a landscape company. We called it the Yard Dog Landscaping Company. That was, that was the name of it, which is exactly what I was at the point. I was a yard dog. I had no idea. what I bought a 22-inch push mower. I figured that would be plenty to cut. Uh, fairly quickly upgraded to a walk behind. 
We started cutting grass. I say we because Cheryl had to put up with it. Uh, and started making disciples. One at a time. Didn't have a clue. Uh, we decided to meet as a church, so we, we, we decided to start Downtown Community Fellowship in Clemson. We thought we were going to rent the movie theater downtown to meet in, and then they wouldn't let us meet there. So we'd already paid all the money to call it Downtown Community Fellowship, and there was nowhere to meet downtown. <laughs> so Downtown Community Fellowship didn't meet downtown. We met in a little school down the road, and sometimes they had the little kitty chairs in there, and everybody would have to sit and worship with their knees up in their faces, right? Cheryl would uh, be there for setup, and then she'd rehearse because she was one of our only singers. And then when she was done singing, she'd go back and take care of the kids. And then when she was done taking care of the kids, she'd come back and sing at the end like we do here. And then uh, she'd go home, and she'd have lunch for anybody who wanted to come. Why? Quite honestly, I don't have this great calling on my life to be a pastor. But the church, she's the bride of Christ. She's the hope of the world. You're like, no, she's not. She's so messed up. Yes, but it was God's design for the world to hear about Jesus through you, the church. She's unstoppable. We spent, uh, man, I don't know how many weeks in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and we talked about who we are. We're moving into the second chapter, second half of the book of Ephesians, so we'll start in verse chapter 4 right now, and we're going to talk about who, what we do. Who we are and we do. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Who you are has to inspire movement, win, lose, or draw. There's no, man, based on our little start of that church in Clemson, you would go, they are going to lose. But guess what's happened throughout the history of the world? The next man steps up. The church of Jesus Christ, she is unstoppable. She's an unstoppable force. As messed up as she is, you cannot defeat her. Why? Because she's the bride of Christ, the king of glory. There's a country song on the radio. I just heard it the other day. Flipped on the radio. It's by Luke Combs. I don't really know who Luke Combs is. So some of you might love him. Some of you might hate him. He says this, I'd still be doing this if I wasn't still doing this. I listen to all the lyrics of the song like, that is brilliant. He's saying, I'm on the big stage now. All these people are taking this in, but I'd still be doing this if I wasn't doing this. I'd be in the little hole in the wall place with my buddies and the guitar. I can't remember the lines. But he's like, I'd still be doing this because this is what I was made to do. <clears throat> I can tell you this about myself and about many of the partners at Radius Church. We'd still be doing this if we weren't doing this. Now we got this. For us, this is like, this is like a cathedral, right? Like this, this is, I know it was Piggly Wiggly, but for us, we love this room. It's fun to have all the people in it, but we'd be doing this at the house, right? We, if everything changes and church has to go underground, we're still going to be doing this. 
Because the church is the bride of Christ, and you cannot stop her. I'm tired. I'm so tired of hearing people talk like the church is in trouble. Our country might be in trouble, but the church ain't in trouble. The church always moves forward. Now, she's high and low at times, but there's countries right now that have no freedom, and the church is exploding. Heck, maybe if our country goes in the toilet, the church will wake up. Here we are 30 years later, after that first church plant, 28 to be exact. I've seen a lot. Man, we've seen a lot of people get baptized. That's pretty fun. Still fun. Families restored. Miraculous provision at times. But I've also seen a lot of ugly. Seen a lot of hurt. I've been a part of hurting people. Been hurt. So have you. I've heard a lot of gossip through the years. Usually secondhand because people are a little nervous to do it around me. I've seen uh, folks go into deep ditches and never come out. I've seen a lot of church leaders fall. Some burn out. Some become cynical. Shoot. That's before I look in the mirror and see all my flaws. Still fighting with sin at 54 and leading churches for 30 years. Still fighting with sin in my own life. Still have these fears that sneak up on me that I don't seem to be able to defeat. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. And yet, the church 2,000 years later, you, you, you can't stop her. Look at us. Who would bet on us to be the hope of the world? Look around the room. You see anybody you really want to bet some like, real money on? Like that, that's, you're, that's the hope of the world? This group of people is the hope of the world. Well, God in his, uh, in his sovereignty chose you and me, and he trusted us with this responsibility. And here we are today. We're in the Midlands of South Carolina. It's our responsibility. As, as broken as some of us have been, as immature as we may present this morning, he put the weight on us. I got to go watch uh, Kenneth and Douglas play basketball last night, which was a joy. They showed up, left-handed layup attempt, almost knocked it down. It was beautiful. Floater in the lane. It was Right in front of the rim, one of the toughest shots to make. He, he knocks it down. Caleb, I, I know you had nothing to do with those successes. But the two brothers, Douglas and Kenneth, they, they just went off. They, play, they played amazing, and I hope they play in the NBA someday. <laughs> I'm looking at your dad, that may not happen, right? Like, 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 I'm not sure, but maybe. <laughs> but I know their father and mother well, and, and I know for me, I, I, I'm excited about basketball. Anybody knows me, I'm excited about basketball, but I am thrilled. I would be thrilled for them to think about their participation in the unstoppable force of the church, Jesus Christ. There will be nothing more important in their life. All, they got all these years ahead of them. Both of them smart. Both of them can play basketball. They got all these things, and we're excited about, we're, we're excited about what they're going to get to see. Who y'all going to marry someday? That's, that's what we're really wondering. I'm going to make you blush yet? I'll put you on. No, no, no blush. We, we don't know all these things, but we do know when they believe in Jesus, they're a part of the church, and they become, they're recruited to this unstoppable team, the church. 
And what they do as participants in that body will be seen by not only the folks on this planet, but the chapters prior in Ephesians actually say that the angels watch. And that God could be glorified by our effort. So when we open up Ephesians chapter 4, we make no apologies for what the church is and can be. We know when you walk in this room, you see a lot of immature people. Hopefully you look in the mirror and see the same. Immature people that need to grow. That's why we're here. And here's what Paul writes. I love the way he starts. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Hey, in case y'all want to argue with me, I'm in jail on this. Like, I'm serious about Christ and the church. I'm in jail on your behalf. And so he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You own this team. We call it the church. God called you to this. I don't know what else he may have called you to, but he called you to be a part of this team. Yes, it has all kind of flaws. But for three chapters, we talked about who we, if you know Jesus, who we are. So we had a bunch of baptisms this year at Radius Lexington, which excites us. It's this public uh, proclamation of your relationship with Jesus. Every Sunday, we set bread and juice out so that you, in my earliest days at that very church plant, I wanted people to have to walk to go get it. I wanted you to have to make a public proclamation of your relationship with Jesus every Sunday. We got it in the back, in the front. You got to walk by somebody to get it. You make this proclamation that Jesus saved me, that I'm related to him. We say that's who we are, right? So Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, just over and over, state who we are. We didn't earn it. We are it. Let me read you a little list. Hey, if you grew up in the charismatic church, right, which we have a large, large contingent of, you had to help me on this, right, because this is amazing list. If you're Lutheran, I, you can cross your hands. It's okay. Like, you just sit there, be quiet. It's all right. Like, where, wherever you came from, it's okay. We all do things different. But this feels like, like, if you're from the Baptist church out in the country, you got to help me out right now, okay? So. Here we go. Here's the list. It says that we're blessed, chapter 1, with every blessing. We're, he's adopted us into his family. He's purchased our freedom. He's showered us with kindness. He's revealed his mysterious will to us. He's given us an inheritance. He chose us, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. That's just chapter 1. Chapter 2, he loved us so much. I like that line all by itself. Jesus loved us so much. He raised us from the dead with the Christ with Christ the Father did. He created us anew. He united us with Christ. He brought us near to him. He brought peace to us. He reconciled us. He made us citizens. He called us a group that is becoming the holy temple. That's just chapter 2. I can tell we got a lot of Lutherans here this morning. (laughs) Chapter 3, just one line. Now we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Me and you, that's who we are. I don't know what you did this week. I've had good and bad weeks for most of my life in regard to sin. But if you've believed in Jesus, as immature as you feel in your seat right now because of how the week went down, you can come boldly into his presence. Now, I would advise you to come and confess your sin. But you can come boldly into his presence because of the work of the cross. That's who we are. Now, when you're that... 
you got to do something with it, right? Like when you've been given so much, you got to do something with it. And so we open chapter four and we go, we need to lead a life worthy. When it says a life worthy, it's a worthy of all that, of who we are, what we've been given, of this calling. I really like that line where he says that he's begging them to do it. Erwin McManus writes this, we've chosen comfort and convenience over servanthood and sacrifice. So he's begging them. Why, why is he begging them? Is he worried that the church is going to fail? Paul writing this book, is he worried that it's going to fall apart because people are He's begging them for them. He's begging you and me today to not only know who we are, but in response to who we are, do. <laughs> because it's a gift to us. It's a gift to take the things that have been poured into us and pour them out on others. It's this gift. And then when we lock it all up, we become this miserable bunch of people that it's just not very fun to be around. Then he tells us how, verse 2. <laughs> this list is rough. Always be humble and gentle. How you like that? We sing the gifts of the Spirit at the house with the kids. I could never remember gentleness. Cheryl would say that's like a, it's like an emotional problem of mine. I don't want to say it because I don't want to do it, right? Like, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. See that? Like, like this major effort for the followers of Jesus is to humble ourselves and be gentle with one another and, and forgive one another quickly on all sorts of ways. If you go back to the chapter before, we saw the Jews and the Gentiles. We saw the walls in our mind, that walls in the temple that separated the Jews and the Gentiles be knocked down so that they're all equally followers of Jesus. So, so he's done the work, right? He's done all the work. He's united us across racial lines, cultural lines. I don't know if you remember, but there was a wall that separated Jewish men and Jewish women and priests. All those walls come down. Open to the Holy of Holies where God resided in the, in, in the Holy Temple of Jerusalem. All the walls are down. So he's saying, like, keep the walls down. Don't put them back up. Don't divide yourself again. Binding yourself together with peace. That's a really interesting thing to say to believers as we uh, are so tempted to divide. It seems like oftentimes that denominations, we talk more about our distinctives, like what makes us different than we talk about what makes us alike. And generally, most evangelical denominations in particular, like they have the exact same list. Like we, we're in full agreement. That's why I feel really comfortable standing up here and praying for all the churches up and down this road. We're in full agreement. Now we have some distinctives. We do some different things, but why talk about the distinctives all the time? Let's, let's talk about what we are together. Check out the passage. So there's one body and there's one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father over all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Those distinctives, 
Nah. Those are true of every believer in every local church in this town if they believe and trust Jesus. Let's do that now. Let me pray for some churches right here on our road. Why don't you pray with me? I love these guys down the street at Midtown. Got this little storefront. I remember those days. And pray you bless them this morning. Pray that their time of worship would be alive. Same for, uh, same for Lexington Baptist. Just right down the road, Lexington United Methodist across the street. The watershed down in the basement of, uh, of uh, that building over the old mill. Pray for, uh, I think it's St. Stephen's Lutheran just right down the road. There's Vivid Church up here on, the, on uh, 378. We got one of our own up the street at, at uh, Water's Edge and over at uh, Mosaic in Red Bank. We got other six of the Radius Churches. Lord, we pray that this morning... You meet them, that their time together in rooms like this would be full of life, that someone in those rooms that doesn't know you would hear the gospel and believe, that someone in those rooms that has fallen away from you would turn to you. We trust you with them now in Jesus' name. Amen. See, when you read this, it just like takes all the competition out. Not only in our room, across the aisles, but up and down the street. We got all this work to do for the kingdom of God. It just don't make any sense for us to be opposed to one another. So he builds this case for unity, unity, unity. Your Bible probably has a little header up that up says something about unity. And then he opens up this, this, this next little section. And he talks about how different we are, which I, I love that. Like, I want you to be together. You're together, together. You share the same spirit, the same baptism. We're, we're all under the same Lord. And he says, then you, but you're different. So when you say unity, you don't mean same, right? It doesn't mean that we're all exactly the same. Check this out. However, he's given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. In, in many ways, he's given us this special grace, says a lot of translations, which makes us different from one another. Now, there was this original grace that saved each of us from sin, but, but then there's this grace that seems to almost be connected to a spiritual gift or personal design. And so we sit in a room, and you look across the room, and you go, all these people with different gifts put in the same room. We chose to be in here together. He did it on purpose out of his generosity. Check out what it says. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights he led the crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Psalm 68, this, this is like a summation of Psalm 68. And he, he, uh, he's saying that at the end, there's this great victory, and then he gives gifts to all the people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended into our lowly world. And the same one who descended in is the one who has ascended higher than all the heavens, that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Kind of a crazy verse. He said, ascended, descended. We know he ascended back into heaven when Jesus walked earth. So what does it mean that he descended? Well, there's all kinds of people that theologians land in three camps. I'll give it to you just real fact, fun facts. One, he descended, right, like in the incarnation when he came to earth and he became a child. Descended. He descended into the grave. He went into the ground. When he died, he was buried. So, so some folks would say it's his incarnation. Some folks would say it's his burial. And some folks, uh, Tony Evans actually would say, 1 Peter 3, that he descended 
into hell to pronounce to the demons his victory over death. I don't know know which one of the three. A lot of smart people say all three. All I know is that he descended and he ascended. And when he descended, he defeated sin and death. And I walk around saying, we are. I'm a changed man. I'm saved by grace. And now I must do based on the special gift that he's given me. And so must you. It's interesting, uh, in our world right now, we're talking a lot about diversity. Uh, we're talking about uh, diversity according to race, socioeconomic diversity, talking about cultural diversity, and we, like, we're hardcore about it. The Bible kind of assumes all those walls fall when you're saved by grace. Like, you actually enjoy the different cultures, even though you're different, like enjoy being with people who are different, that have different amounts of money, that have different cultural experiences, that have different, like, like all the walls fall, and we enjoy one another. Why? Because of our relation to Jesus. But then he says, but we are diverse. And when he says diverse, he's, he's not talking about those normal things that we argue about. No, he, he's saying you got a gift and I got a gift and you're set up like that and you're set up like that. And we got to pull those resources for the kingdom of God. Best teams are diverse. They have, they have players on the team that have a diversity of skill sets. <laughs> you don't want a team full of people that are the same. One of my favorite things to do here at Radius, I won't do it today, is the poll where everybody comes from. I got, it's just a denominational poll. It starts making people nervous. I've never had more than 20% of any one denomination in the room. We love that. We love the diversity of that. We have that diversity on our staff. So we, it pushes us. It makes us think different. We think outside of the box because of that. Because we got a job to do. The Midlands needs to know Jesus. And he put us here on their behalf. Verse 11. Now. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So he says everybody's been given a special gift, but then he says I give these gifts to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Doesn't mean that everybody in this room is one of those five. right? Like you'd be reading it the wrong way. He, he, he actually saying I gave these gifts to the church to lead it. I just saw Chris Seavey right over here. Chris Seavey used to be on the stage. He was a pastor at this church, right? Uh, and he led folks spiritually. Now he's back in the marketplace. Um, and if you ask him what his job is, I'm sure he can't tell you because there's like four of them that he does. They got all these different businesses that he's running. Is he any less a pastor now than he was when he was here, when he's getting paid to do this? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, this list isn't about getting paid. It's not about being on staff at a church or standing up here even talking ever. He gave these gifts to the church because he wanted her to forge forward. She's an unstoppable force, and he gave these gifts to the church. Now, does he have less time to do it now? Absolutely. He's got less time. So he makes it work at breakfast, lunch, and other times. He gave these gifts to the church for her health. It actually says that he gave them to her to equip God's people. I'll give you one word for each. I don't have time to talk about them. I wish I did. If you were going to use one word to 
explain apostle, you might use the word start. He, she, start stuff. If you're going to use one word for prophet, maybe the word truth. Tell the truth. Sometimes they cry about it. Sometimes they're angry about it. If you were looking at uh, radius history, you'd put me on the apostle. And if you ever use that word with me, you like make that A as small as you possibly can. Todd Carnes, who led this church in the past, would have been more in the prophet category. Told the truth. Evangelists, you just put the word gospel. If you ever met Lee Clamp, he's a part of our body. Like he, all, you can't. Everything goes back to the gospel, right? Like you can't get in a conversation with him without him coming back to the gospel. And how many people have you shared the gospel with? You know why? Because he wants to push the church to share the gospel. I push the church to plant churches. Todd would deal with these, these uh, things in culture that you just got to talk about. You got pastors and teachers. When you think pastor, you, think, you could think care. That wouldn't be a bad thing to think about. If you've been here at Radius a long time, you might think of Brian Kirkland. He's one who cares. If you've just been here a short time, maybe you've met Jeremy. He's young, but he's got this gift. He cares. It hurts him when others hurt. He's there for you. He wants to know you. He wants to know your name, right? I don't really care. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, <laughs> my job is to get us to go. Let's go. I'm the go pastor. Last one is teacher. When you think teacher, you think word, and I, it's, that's an easy one. You get to see him up here a lot. It's Russell. Russell's when he, when he preaches, he preaches on the word, and he gets so fired up based on the words on this page, right? Like it, it just make it gives him energy, and he wants you to know it. And it's not just so that he can say it. He's trying to equip you for work this week. their responsibility to equip equip God's people to do his work. There's a guy in North Carolina, he's he's a a pastor, and he says, uh, when I became a pastor, I left the ministry. I thought it was a great way. His name's J.D. Greer. The church is amazing. He says, when I became a pastor, I left the ministry. And what he's basically saying is, hey, when when I took this role, my job is to equip people Everybody in the body of Christ is called to their radius. If you've been given one of these five gifts, your job, whether you're on staff or not, is to equip people to do ministry in their radius. This will continue until we come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge uh, of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we, when we no longer, ah, I can't read it. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about with every wind of new teaching. It's a pretty interesting we in there. I just want you to notice. Like some of y'all probably showed up and look around the room. Sorry, folks. There's always a couple who look around and go, man, there's a lot of immature Christians here. Right? Or you go to some other church and you go, Radius is the best. And you go to some other church and you look around, you're like, that's a lot of immature believers here. Guess what? That's always been true. Like, when you get saved, you become a baby. You're a baby in Christ. You're born again. You're a new creature. You're starting from the beginning. You're a baby. And for any of y'all that really feel mature in the room, Paul's associating himself with the immature. He, say, I'm, he says, I'm growing. I have not arrived. I'm, in, I'm one of the immature. We're, we have not fully come to the standard of Christ. I'm immature. So then there's this humility 
and gentleness in which we deal with one another. So when you sit in the room and you look around, if that was your first thought, or if you think that thought regularly, it'd be a good thing to repent of before you come up and take the bread and juice because you are not worthy outside of the blood of Jesus. Nobody in the room is. So it's a room full of immature people. Now, you look around, you have patience with others, but with yourself, there ought to be this expectation that I'm growing. If you've been following Jesus for a long time and you still can't control your emotions, I don't just mean like emotions, emotions, but you know how the babies are. Babies just cry whenever they want to. Uh, They need somebody to feed them. They can't feed themselves. Babies back here in the little room, they got no plan for the afternoon. They got no idea what time they eat lunch. They got no plan. They got no discipline. The mama's got to do everything, right? And so for yourself, as you look at yourself, you got, you got to learn to feed yourself. Eventually, you probably ought to do a couple push-ups. Like you, you, you got to learn to feed yourself. So when you come to Radius on Sunday, you get to hear Russell teach. Well, well, that's like going to the restaurant. When Russell teaches, it's like going to Ryan's. You get all you can eat, right? Like, it's, it's great. Like, like, he's going to give you all you can eat. You take it in and enjoy it, but then you, hopefully you go home and work that out because Ryan's, you eat Ryan's a lot. I, I, I ain't going to say what it does to you, but it's, it's, uh, it has got some ramifications, right? Like, you're supposed to eat it and then work it out. That's what grown people do. That's what mature people do. That's what people who are maturing do. They eat, they feed themselves, they'll go to a restaurant on occasion, but, but we're growing in maturity. So we ought to be a group, of patient, a group of people that are patient with others, but excited about our own growth and invested in others, hoping they're going to grow as well as we mature in Christ. I'll quit with this. Last couple of verses says, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us. With lies so clever, they sound like the truth. What a great line for the day. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body in the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. But I don't know if y'all got this yet. I've only said it 45 times. We are a part of the church. If you believed in Jesus, if you could come up and take bread and juice in a little bit, if you believed in Jesus, you're a part of the church, and she is unstoppable. So he's saying when we're healthy, we're together. The, the passage just keeps arguing for together. As a matter of fact, it shocks me. I heard Kel, uh, Tim Keller talk about it this week, and the more I read it this week, I, I just have never paid attention to the idea that I cannot be mature unless I am a part of the body. So when somebody says, man, church is just as good at home when I'm watching it on the screen, I'm like, uh, no, it's not. I've got to participate with the body. There's no way for me to be healthy without me interacting with you. It's cool to have a supplement on the, on the snow Sunday, right, and do it online. But there's no way to be at home and do this and grow and expect to be mature. We need one another. We need to interact with one another. I need you. I even need your flaws to bump up against me so that I have to wrestle with myself. I need you. You need me. That's why we beg you to get in groups every year because we need one another. In order to grow, it seems, as I read this, that if you're not connected in community, it'd be very difficult for me to imagine you being healthy as a follower of Jesus. 
dadgummit, the Midlands needs us. God will get it done without us. There'll be another dude or lady step up. But he, he wants to do it with you. And so this passage gives us opportunity. We decided to just take a minute at the end of this message. We're going to pass these cards down every aisle. So it's on the far right and on the far left. If you look up under the seat in front of you, there's going to be a little card. This is a private card, so don't get nervous. You don't have to turn it in. If you see it, then just pass it down the aisle the other way. And one will land. I think even the short rows have one on, on their side. You're just going to pass it down the aisle. And at the top, it says, tell the truth about yourself. Anytime you join a team, uh, if you're playing football over at uh, River Bluff and you come into the locker room, they, they, they want to measure you before you get started. So they're going to they're gonna measure you. I'm like 5'11 and 3 quarters. I really feel good about rounding that up to six feet. But that's, that's what I am, shrinking rapidly. Uh, they, they, they're going to measure your weight. They want to they wanna know what your weight is. My son's playing on a team getting ready for college, and they actually put them in their shorts, and they take the shirts off. None of us want that drill. They, they take the shirts off, and they take a picture of them before the season, and they take a picture of them after the season, see what's changed in here. <laughs> right? For some of us, that would be a painful exercise. right? Like, like, but you're, you're measuring the truth about yourself because you can't lie when you just look at it. The way the church is supposed to work when she's healthy and together is we're supposed to be able to tell the truth about ourselves. It says that we actually would tell the truth, and that you can't miss the preposition next, in love. We tell the truth in love. And we thought for a minute just in your seat, you could tell the truth to yourself. This is a mirror. You're not going to turn it in. You don't have to put your name on it. There's a little tear off. I'll let you tear off if you want. I'd just love for you to take like, like one minute. I'll walk you through the list. Top line says, I've not trusted Jesus, but want to know more. Bro, we love having you here. That's what we've been dreaming about. All the way down the continuum to I walk with God daily and I share my belief. Just mark your little line or X on that continuum. Where, where am I on that continuum? This is just the truth about yourself. If you don't know, no worries. Next line, I never read the Bible or talk to God. Look. Man, if you got to check that very first circle, that's, that's telling the truth about yourself. That's the first step. Don't, like, this isn't a moment to be ashamed. This is a moment where we're just evaluating the truth. All the way down to I crave time with God in prayer and in his word. Third one, I don't really want to come to church. I love coming to church and often invite others. Again, some of you are like, my wife made me come this morning. <laughs> let, me, let me check that first one. Just tell the truth, right? Tell the truth. If you're not turning it in, nobody's going to see it. Just check it. The fourth one I think is the most interesting one. My friends draw me away from Jesus. And I hope everybody in the room has friends that don't know Jesus. But you, are you so invested there that they draw you away from Jesus? My friends point me to Jesus, which means that you find a way in community that you need relationships to help you grow. Again, if you don't check this off, ain't nobody sweating it. The bottom one, I focus my time and my money on myself. Here's a real honest way you can do that. You can look at your calendar or your bank account and just see where everything goes. The last one, I try to be generous with all 
with, a, with an eternal focus. So my time, my resources, I put them in places where I hope they multiply for eternity. It's just a simple moment where you go, okay, we got this, this body that we're a part of, this unstoppable force called the church. And here I am, I'm, I've been on the team, I've been on the team a long time. Some of y'all been on the team a short time. And here's where I am right now. This is where I'm, that's the truth about myself. As I participate on this team, you want to be crazy brave, I wrote on the bottom of mine, share your little list with somebody. You can share it with your wife, you can share it with your best friend, take a picture of it, send it to your mama, whatever, like share, share it with somebody. That, that would fit in this passage, to take the truth about yourself and do it in community. So that somebody might say, if you checked at the beginning, I've not trusted Jesus, but I want to know more. Like, I, I want to ask somebody. It takes this moment of aggression to connect. If you want to give us permission to speak into that at Radius, then there's this little green side. It folds. It's handy-dandy little folding thing. It, guess what? It'll tear off, too. Well, you can, you can fill out that as, as you will, and on the back, you put your name on it. That's if you want us to know it and stick it in the box on the way back out. What we really wanted to accomplish this morning was give you a chance to look in the mirror, tell myself the truth. Now we're looking at 2022 and going, okay, I'm going to move this. I'm going to move this. I, just, I need to tell you, you will not if you don't do it in community. So you got to share it with somebody. You can share it with us, tear this off. You can share it with somebody in your small group. You can share it with the person next to you on your aisle. It's going to make them really nervous, but go ahead. You can hand it to them if you want. Like, hey, look at this. This is where I'm at. Like, I need to change. We do this because if you're a believer, because of who we are, first three chapters of Ephesians, and as we get into the next three chapters, because of what we hope to do to his glory. Ready selection, we got a lot to do. We got, we got a good history of doing stuff. We're 18 years old, and there's, this, there's these stats out there that say we're going to get lazy after 18 years. That's what stats say, that we're not going to keep doing it. And so as we take in these future chapters, chapter 4, 5, and 6, we're just going to remind ourselves that we know who we are through 1 through 3, and we still want to be active 4 through 6. Let's pray together.